Good evening to you. Please be turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. We're going to notice the soul of the Apostle Paul. S-O-U-L, the soul of the Apostle Paul. Not in the sense of uh, the salvation of his soul, but uh, what really mattered down deep in Paul's soul? What really mattered uh, down deep into his very inner being? Uh, In thinking about this, I'm reminded of that old song, uh, Winging My Way Back Home. You guys know that, Winging My Way Back Home? Uh, part of the melody goes, or part of it says, uh, down deep in my soul, a melody rings. I'm winging my way uh, back home. That's the ideal of uh, our subject this evening. Uh, I'm I'm, uh, thinking about the soul. What mattered most down deep uh, to the Apostle Paul? And uh, 2 Timothy 4 will help us uh, to see this uh, very well. I don't know about you, but I'm still learning how to figure things out from day to day. I want to be the Lord's servant. I want to be more like the Lord. I want to be more like Paul. And um, But uh, I, I feel like I'm still learning. still have a lot to learn. A lot to learn. Um, I saw this caption in a little paper the other day uh, under the, the little heading, Still Learning. And it was a collection of things that children try to remember about uh, the Bible. And, uh, of course, you've heard the one about uh, Solomon had uh, 300 wives and 700 porcupines. Um, But another one said, uh, Moses led the Hebrews to the Red Sea where they made unleavened bread. And that's the kind of bread that doesn't have any ingredients. So I thought that was pretty good. And the other one said, um, Moses uh, went up to Mount Sinai to get, the, uh, to get the Ten Commandments, and he died before he ever got to Canada. So uh, they were just trying to remember what they could uh, from, from Bible. They were still learning. In other words, it's under the cap- caption of still learning. And um, it made me feel like that, too. You know, I'm still learning how to take the will of God and apply it and, and keep in front and out in my life, uh, what truly, truly uh, matters. And we see this here with Paul. These are treacherous times for the church and for Paul. If you notice in 2 Timothy 4 and 16, he mentions his first defense, which tell us, tells us that Paul has been on trial uh, more than once. He mentions his first uh, defense. And he also mentions in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6, uh, that he uh, plans to die. He, he feels like now at this next event, uh, whenever his name comes up again, that this will be the end for him. He was pretty certain about this. He says, um, I'm already being poured out, and the time is, of my departure is at hand. It's at hand. And um, they say, historians say, that in about A.D. 64, um, the Roman ruler Nero uh, basically just had a fit. He, he was so terrible at ruling that he set the city of Rome on fire and he blamed the Christians for it. And it was just a little after AD 64 that Paul was arrested for the final time. If you notice here in 2 Timothy 4.13, it seemed like um, 
because he asked Timothy to come as soon as he could and to bring the parchments and to bring his coat or his cloak. It's, it's almost as if they arrested Paul and drug him off before he had time to even collect the very nece- uh, necessary items that he would usually uh, carry with him. And so these are treacherous times. And, and often during uh, trying times is when you see what really matters most uh, to people. And that certainly is the case here uh, with Paul. And so let's just ease through a few things here that we see in this chapter. And let's just get ready to flip in our Bibles as we need to. Uh, Certainly, as we begin, the mission that Jesus uh, gives uh, to all of us and to Paul as well is certainly number one on his list. Notice in 2 Timothy 4 and uh, verse 17, uh, Paul is talking about uh, being on trial. But he said uh, thus far that he had been delivered uh, by God's goodness uh, so that he could fully proclaim uh, the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. You see that? So that he could fully proclaim the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. Paul is still at it. He, he has never uh, faded away from the mission that was given him in the very first place. If you'll take your Bibles and jump back to Acts chapter 9... In verse 15, where God is telling Ananias to go see Saul of Tarsus and get ready to lead him to obedience. And you remember that Ananias was a little resistant about that, of course. And, uh, but notice there in Acts 9.15 that God said to Ananias, You go because this man Saul, Paul, is a chosen vessel for me. And he is going to bear my name. He's going to carry my name. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Do we carry the name of the Lord? He's going to carry my name uh, to the Gentiles and to um, in front of several rulers and also among the children of Israel uh, as well. And so Paul received that commission when he was baptized and he never swayed away from it. And even here at the very time of his death, he's still thinking about the fact that he, is, he, is, he has that commission and he's under that commission to fully preach the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. If um, Kelly has a set of what is called the then and now maps where uh, you'll have Bible time map and then you can uh, flip down and then over that will be the modern uh, equivalent of, the, of, of that place on the Bible time map. And it just kind of overlays. And if you were to go back uh, to Paul when he was first converted, and then if you flip over uh, to the latter portion of his life, he's still at it. He's still, he's a little bit older. He's much more experienced. He's got scars. But he's still basically the same person doing the same thing. And he would do this until he dies. And and is that the way it looks with us? You know, if, we, if we're able to flip back to, to then and to now, has anything changed? Does anything need uh, to change? So the mission of Christ is uppermost in Paul's mind right here even uh, at his death. If we let our eyes go back toward the front of the chapter of 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, you see that Paul is... Um, He is charging Timothy once again with this mission. 
If you read with me in 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, I charge thee in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus, who shall judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be urgent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure uh, sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers after their own lust, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and turn aside on the fables. But you be sober in all things, suffer hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill the ministry. And then if you look on down to verse 15, he mentions a fella who had swayed away from the truth by the name of Alexander. You see him there in verse 15. And um, beware of his works, 14 and 15, and um, because uh, he has withstood our words. Basically what he is telling Timothy is you've got to prepare yourself for the judgment day, verse 1. Prepare yourself for judgment. There's a day coming, Timothy. Prepare yourself. How do you prepare for judgment? Verse 2. Preach the word all the time, in season, out of season, and don't turn away from it. No matter what others are saying, don't turn away from it. And then you've got to preach the word in such a way that you protect you protect sound doctrine. Many will have itching ears turning themselves away from the truth. They do not endure sound doctrine. He gives one case study of that down there in verses 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith. Uh, he is not enduring our words. He's resisting the words of the gospel. And so basically our mission is to prepare for judgment by preaching the gospel and protecting the sound doctrine. So the mission is uppermost in this mind. First of all, what mattered most to Paul down deep, way down deep, uh, the mission of Christ. Secondly, what mattered most to Paul was to have a heart free of bitterness. What mattered most to Paul was to have a heart free of bitterness. Bitterness can lose your soul. Ephesians 4 mentions that in verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness be put away from you. Well, what if you don't put away the bitterness? What if you don't put away the malice and the wrath? Well, that's trouble. That's going to endanger our souls. See, the thing is, Paul had uh, brethren... He had brethren who were uh, not standing up with him at these trials. He mentions this in 2 Timothy 4 verse 16. You see that? He said, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Only the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that I can fully proclaim uh, the gospel. Um, If you... You've, we've already mentioned there Alexander turning away from him. Notice in, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, Demas has forsaken us, he says, having loved this present world. If you go back to chapter 1 in the same book, verse 15, he says that many in Asia have turned away from us. Many in Asia have turned away from us. If you um, notice back in Philippians uh, chapter 1, Uh, This should be familiar to you, but in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is speaking from Rome, which is where he's at now in prison, Uh, but he's speaking from Rome at a different time. But but here's the ideal. Here's the situation he's facing. He said, said, some, Philippians 1 verse 15, some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife, 
and some of goodwill, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. But others proclaim, proclaim Christ out of faction, not sincerely, thinking to raise up affliction for me and my bonds. There was, a, there was an anti-Paul element going on even within the church of those days. And so Paul had a lot against him, not just the Roman officials against him, but even some uh, within the brotherhood against him, not wanting to be associated with him, not wanting to stand up with him. What would Paul's attitude be toward these brethren? Well, notice notice it here in 2 Timothy uh, 4 and verse 16. He said, At my first offense, no one took my part, all men forsook me. But then he says to the Lord, May it not be laid to their charge. May it not be put on their account. What, what's he praying here? What's he praying here? Well, he is not, we know the Apostle Paul, he is not condoning sin. He's not condoning sin. He's already mentioned the evil works of Alexander there. He says, preach the word and there's someone not preaching. He's not condoning sin. What's, it, what's he praying about? What's he praying toward here? Well, he is recognizing something that's very important, and that is that even faithful brethren... And that's, that's, that's all of us. But we all have weaknesses. We, have, we all have times where we disappoint ourselves. We disappoint others. We disappoint the Lord. That doesn't mean we've jumped off the ship. It doesn't mean we're unfaithful. It doesn't mean we've left the faith. But we have moments of weakness. And Paul feels like that many of these brethren, you know, simply out of fear, they just did not come and stand up with him. But he's praying to the Lord in sort of a compassionate way that this would not be laid to their account, that, that this would not be held against uh, their soul. Why would he do this? Well, partly because he knows how compassionate the Lord is. Reading from Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Talking about the Lord. David says, Like as a father has pity upon his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. The Lord knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. The Lord is compassionate. And, and Paul knows this. He knows it very well. He relies on this compassion of the Lord himself. And so it seems to me that Paul is trying to keep his heart free of all bitterness. And he does this by praying to the Lord, even for these brethren who are somewhat disappointing. But Paul doesn't want to cast them away uh, for good. Notice the different kinds of hearts mentioned. It seems to me there are two different kinds of hearts here in this chapter. Notice verse 15. 15. He mentions Alexander. Okay. Alexander is resisting the words of the gospel, and he's going, Paul says he's going to be judged according to his evil works. Okay. It's almost as if he's saying Alexander is, is too far gone to save. But then he has a different tone toward the brethren in verse 16, where these brethren who forsook him, he's saying, Don't lay this to their charge. 
He seems to be saying, they, they have been weak. They should have stood up with me. But Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Uh, please continue your compassion upon them. They mean well. They mean well. And so what he's doing there, he's keeping his heart free of bitterness. It's so important uh, to maintain the heart the Lord would have us to have, even all the way down to, to the end of our days. You know, from a human viewpoint, who could blame Paul for being a little bit upset at his situation? Because no one had a burning desire to go out and fulfill the mission of Christ like the Apostle Paul. But once and again, he was, he was, he was put into prison and he uh, suffered affliction. He was beaten and let out of prison and brought back into prison. Now here he is about to uh, be executed and yet he would not allow himself uh, to grow bitter. It's, it's a remarkable, remarkable uh, heart uh, that he has and that challenges us. Notice how he ends uh, this very epistle here in Second in Timothy. He, he wishes the grace of God upon them as you see it here in Second Timothy 4. Verse 22, notice how he beautifully ends this epistle. He says, The Lord be with thy spirit, and grace be with you. He wishes that with toward Timothy, but he wishes that for everyone as well. A third thing that's very important uh, to Paul, what mattered most way down deep uh, in his soul, what mattered most uh, was to have a heart full of gratitude, not just a heart free of bitterness, but also a heart full of gratitude. Paul recognizes, though some brethren were disappointing him, that wasn't the case with all of them. That, that doesn't describe all the brethren. And if you notice here in, in this chapter, he will mention several brethren who are sticking with him, who are staying with him, uh, beginning in um, uh, verse, uh, verse 11. He says, Luke is with me. Luke is with him. Luke was often with Paul. Luke is described as the beloved physician in Colossians 4. 14. Surely Luke was a great help to Paul. Paul had his struggles uh, physically. He had some health challenges. He was often beaten and he suffered. So it was great to have Luke, who was a medical doctor, beside him. And then he mentions also Mark. Now Mark uh, turned away from Paul early in the missionary journeys, but here he is now very profitable to him. So he's telling uh, Timothy uh, that Luke is with me and also please bring Mark. Please bring John Mark. So look, he's got Timothy who's still faithful and still serving. And he's on his way. Timothy is on his way to assist Paul if he can get there before winter. Luke is there uh, with him. Mark is on his way and willing to come and assist uh, in the work. And then he also, uh, he mentions here uh, in verse 12, a brother by, by the name of Tychicus. Tychicus comes up often. Like in uh, Colossians 4 and 12, Paul describes him there as a, as a faithful minister and a, um, a beloved brother and a fellow servant. And we mentioned this morning somebody putting on a tombstone, you know, this little despairing note, you know, I, I was not, I was, I am not, and I care not. Well, here's something a lot better. What if this was put on your tombstone? You know, a faithful minister a fellow servant, 
and a beloved brother. That's, that's how you want to end life. And so that's, that's the man Tychicus is. And also, if you jump back to chapter 1 of Second Timothy, in verses 16 through 18, he mentions another great servant by the name of Onesiphorus. And Onesiphorus had come to Rome. And he had searched out to find Paul, and he, and he did. He found him, and he was able to, to help him uh, in his condition. So there's another one, Onesiphorus. And at the end of the, this uh, chapter in 2 Timothy 4, he mentions Aquila and Priscilla, and they have been a great assistance to him, and they're still faithful uh, to the Lord. And so Paul's heart was full of gratitude for many of the wonderful brethren who were still uh, serving at that, at that time. And this, of course, is the kinds of things that need to describe and characterize our hearts as well. We can't let the discouragement of the world keep us from having the heart the Lord would have us to have. There are still many faithful brethren. We, we've been going through a series since the latter part of December, bringing it up every so often on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, what we call the culture war. And noticing things that are definitely a challenge in society that could threaten the church, things like gambling and and um, and abortion and, and all the different corruptions of of the marriage institution and different corruptions of the Lord's worship that's out there in the land. But nonetheless, nonetheless, there are still many faithful brethren across this great land, across the world. Uh, as it is right now. Those who do the traveling would tell you this. Larry and Kay will tell you this. Those who listen uh, to various media uh, outlets will tell you the same thing. And so we're so grateful that that is the case. And I'll, I'll add this to I think there's still, if we, and we have to believe this, there are still good and honest hearts in society, in the world. And we just cannot give up on on understanding that and keeping that um, in, in, in our hearts. And so what's, what's most important to Paul here, even in these treacherous times, what's most important to him? The mission of Christ, to be able to have a heart free of bitterness, and also to have a heart full of gratitude. A fourth thing that is most important to Paul is to be able to end his life without regrets. Notice how he mentions this in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. There is someone ending life with no regrets. Regrets is a hard issue. It's a hard thing. The older you get, the more you think about it. We all have regrets because we're all sinful. We're weak before God. What are we to do with our regrets? What are we to do with them? Let's think about that for just a moment. There are some in life who just make a complete failure at dealing with their regrets and their sins. A couple weeks ago we took out some lessons from from Jesus telling us about Lazarus and, and the rich man. And both of them died and were buried. And then uh, they found themselves uh, all of a sudden very much alive but in another place. Uh, 
Lazarus found himself in Abraham's bosom, the place where we want to be when we die, a place of comfort and uh, joy. But the rich man found himself in a place of torment. And he, had a, he has a conversation with Father Abraham that we're able to listen to there in Luke 16. And first he, he wondered if, if they just couldn't send Lazarus to where he was so that he could provide some relief to him because he was in anguish. That can't happen. Verse 26 of Luke 16, uh, Abraham explains there's a great gulf uh, that is fixed, unmovable between where we are and where you are. And so he has this to ask. He says, well, what about Lazarus going back to earth and uh, to my father's house because I have five brethren there, have five brothers there, uh, and warn them about this place of torment. And that wasn't going to happen uh, either. But notice that the rich man has regrets, but he failed to deal with those regrets during life. And now he's in the afterlife, and that is way uh, too late. Also, there's, there are some in life who, who, who have opportunities to, to handle their regrets and their sins, but they don't take advantage of it. And I think about uh, when Judas, realizing that his betrayal was actually going to lead to the crucifixion and death of Jesus, he came back with the money there in Matthew 27 and threw it down at the priest's feet. And uh, then he went out and, and hung himself. He changed his mind, changed his whole, his whole thought process toward what he had done. But he had a, an opportunity there, not just to throw down the money, but also to truly repent from what he had done, like Peter did. Peter denied the Lord, but he truly repented and came back to to the Lord and Judas had that same opportunity, but instead of taking that opportunity, uh, he went out and hung himself. When Paul was in Acts 26, when Paul was before Agrippa, Agrippa said, uh, "You almost would persuade me to be a Christian." Paul said, "That's exactly what I want. Every, I want you to be a Christian. Everybody standing here to be just as I am in my spiritual condition, but not be in these these chains, these bonds that I'm in." And there is Agrippa with an opportunity he is seeing from Paul's preaching. He is seeing that he's got, he must deal with some sins and regrets, but he's just not stepping forward and doing that. And so how, how do you deal with regrets? Well, regrets. Paul, Paul is, is a prime great example you can see Paul dealing with his anguish when Ananias uh, comes to him. And um, Paul has been uh, in anguish over his sins, over his error uh, for three days, not eating. And um, he's just full of regret. And then when Ananias comes and says, you've got to do this, arise and be baptized, obey the Lord, submit yourself to the Lord, repent of your sins. Submit yourself to the Lord. Paul does this. He deals with his mistakes and, and, and regrets the best way he knew how in submitting to the Lord, receiving forgiveness, and then that propelled him to do more and more for the Lord as, as best he can. He, he went right into 
the synagogues and begin to preach Jesus as the Son of God. He'd been right against Jesus. Now he's going to preach for Jesus and all the truths that belong to Jesus. Paul comments on this in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, where he said he's not, he's not worthy to be called an apostle because he's the least of the apostles. But he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace that was bestowed upon me hasn't been bestowed upon me in vain, but rather I labor more abundantly than, than, than everybody. Okay. Yet not I, but the grace of God that's in me. But notice he said, I labored more abundantly. God's grace has not been in vain uh, toward me. And so he was able to deal with his regrets. And he was able, as, as he allowed that to motivate him, propel him, compel him uh, to serve the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now here he is at the end of his life, and he simply just does not have any regrets. And isn't that a, the best way to live life? The best way to live life. Absolutely no regrets. And Paul was able to, to end his life in such a way. And finally, the thing that matters the most to Paul is to have that confidence toward heaven. Notice in 2 Timothy four eighteen, he said, The Lord will deliver me from every evil work, and he will save me unto the heavenly kingdom, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He will save me. I thought Paul was already saved. Well, there are two salvations in a sense. There is that initial salvation one receives when we're baptized. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark sixteen sixteen. But that's the beginning of our journey. We must be faithful unto death. And then comes that final salvation. That, that final redemption that we receive in the heavenly kingdom. And this, is, this is really beautiful. You see, when we're baptized into Christ, He adds us to the church, the kingdom of God. But then when we finally go to heaven... That is called the heavenly kingdom, maybe the heavenly phase of God's kingdom. And that's where Paul intended to go. That, that's where his confidence was. So notice these things that are most important to Paul. What is down deep in Paul's soul? The mission of Christ, a heart free of bitterness, a heart full of gratitude, a life that ends with no regrets, and then confidence toward that heavenly kingdom. We mentioned hope this morning and we showed a picture of an anchor and I forgot to mention that one of the pictures that they would um, they would uh, carve back in the days when the Christians had to meet in these catacombs back in those early days one of the pictures they would carve on the side of the wall was of an anchor a definite sure sign of the hope that they had. This morning we mentioned that our hope is sure because of God Himself. God Himself. And how God just does not lie. How God keeps His word. How that the word of Christ is sure. And how 
that the resurrection of Christ provides for us a divine guarantee of all that God has promised. We mentioned this morning how that just like Paul, and we're seeing here, that that hope can motivate us to truly be the servant the Lord have us to be. And this hope that we have, this service we give to the Lord is never in vain, never in vain. But the Lord will surely take care of us when that day comes. What a wonderful thought that truly is. The time, Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. That word departure there is a military term. In Paul's day, and we would see it also in wartime here, military units were uh, often temporarily set up where they would set up tents and uh, they would need to be in a certain place for a while in the battle and then they would uh, be very um, a great expertise with taking down the tent and moving on to where they need to go next. This is the very term he's using here in, with the word departure. Since our body is a tent itself, it's a tabernacle. Okay? When we move on from this life, we are simply taking down our tent and moving on to better places, better quarters. We are, in a sense, we are relocating. We are re- relocating. We're not changing. It's still going to be us. We're just relocating. And that relocation ends up being in, in, in a place that is hard to describe. It's so beautiful and it's so glorious in the very presence, the very throne of our Lord. These are the things, partly at least, this is not a complete uh, research paper on Paul, the apostle, but at least from what he is saying here in 2 Timothy 4, we can see these things matter most uh, in his heart. So let's get ready now to sing our song of encouragement. And let us make it our aim that these very things also will be most important uh, to us. We are brothers here, brother, brethren together, brothers and sisters One of the reasons the Lord wants us to come together is so that we can lean upon each other. And if there's anything in your life where you need to lean on uh, the rest of us uh, this evening, have prayer, have study, then the invitation is open. Certainly the invitation is open to anyone, whether here or anywhere, who who may be listening. If you have not yet named the name of Christ, if you've not yet uh, truly repented and put Jesus on in baptism for forgiveness, then the invitation is open Uh, to all at this time. Let us stand and sing.